there's your your bias or, your, or the echo chamber that you live within. Sure, over the past year or two, they've exploded. <laughs> you can't. You can't. <laughs> Prove that you're not in an echo chamber. Right, Mike, it is the next episode. Today's episode, it's snowing outside. It's the Black Line Podcast. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. They're talking baseball, but it's snowing outside. I'm confused. Can you help? Um, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for baseball to begin. You know, I, I got to tell you, I'm still... Still, like, still get off, get, get off my yard from last year. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's something to watch. It's enjoyment. You know, but see, I have this thing. It's, some, it's my problem with watching football, right? Like, I, I feel like I'm watching, you know, the gladiators of, of the, you know, hey, destroy yourselves for my entertainment. You got, I think, like the, the Capitals are are going a week without playing. I think like they're supposed to play the Sabres. They were supposed to play the Sabres tonight, but I think half of the Buffalo Sabres have COVID. Um, yeah. Uh, apparently, like uh, you know, two of the Caps players got COVID, and apparently got it bad. Um, they they asked uh, Kuznetsov if he got scared, and his response was, "I'm from Russia. It takes a lot to scare me." <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, "Holy cow!" So like, there's just this whole. Um, yeah, it's just it. It's not. It's and then you know it, it's I mean, not. It's not the same. I, hey, look, I feel the same way about football and the gladiator sport, and I've I've heard some pretty disgusting things that happen around oh. you know the draft and uh, the way those players are are, are, are inspected, um, which is quite disgusting. But uh, anyways, we oh. won't. Well, my, my, my favorite is apparently Urban, uh, Urban Meyer, who's the new head coach of Jacksonville Jaguars, the strength training coach that he hired, um, came from Iowa. And apparently there's like all kinds of stuff where he had gotten, I guess he resigned or something, but after complaints about racism and mistreatment, et cetera. And, and, and Urban replied that um, he's known this guy for years. He's absolutely confident that when, you know, when it's looked into, everything will be fine. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is the same Urban Meyer who was the head coach at Ohio State, whose like number one assistant coach had been abusing his wife, whose defensive coordinator who became the head coach of the University of Maryland, who brought one of the strength trainers, I believe from Ohio State, but had been in the Urban Meyer, whatever, that like Ecosystem. insulted, that, you know, that, that insulted um, the players that led to McNair's death. It's like, well, you know, I don't think that Urban Meyer's um seal of judgment he's a good guy necessarily <laughs> say no it, it, um if you ever watch um and i love the movie remember the titans because you know that happened that happened near you that i i, I actually know a good friend of mine played for um played for Boone. he played oh, for him the year after um well he, he was actually on the defense so he played for i forget the name but but you know the the, the co-star of the movie who was going to be the head coach but denzel washington got it he actually he he played for the defense. Um, so I mean, he told me he told me all the stories. He said, you know, boom time. You know, fifty if you're not fifteen minutes early, you're late. So like the bus would leave fifteen minutes early before it was supposed to leave. And yeah. Like the the bus driver for the uh, um, for the team had been like the starting quarterback the previous year or something. Like he uh, had 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 been a player previously, and the starting quarterback 
was not on the bus. And, you know, apparently, you know, 15 minutes, Boone goes, let's go. And he says, let's go. And the driver looks back and he says, but, but coach, coach, so-and-so is not here. And he's like, let's go. And they left without the starting quarterback. And my friend said, look, no one ever had, no, no one ever questioned Boone. You know, no player quite yet. Cause if he's going to leave, Without the starting quarterback, the, the, with the starting quarterback, <laughs> what's he gonna do if I do the wrong? Thing? <laughs> like how much is he gonna? Right. But but anyways, if you remember in that movie, um, he you know, he talks about how like waters for for wimps, right? And and you're you're watching that and you realize you like I, like I remember the days I I played sports when when it was super hot outside they gave you a salt tablet, right? Yeah, because because the thought was that salt would help you retain water. Like you know you, you think about. You know, I think maybe that that Urban Meyer's um, due diligence maybe was built for, for for maybe that time. Anyways, I don't know how we got on that. Uh, yeah, but that's the, the that's the craziness going on in baseball. I guess uh, I guess uh, who knows, right? Hey, this is our show. We go. I mean, we go where we go. Um, before I get into trouble, let's get to, let's get into <laughs> our main thing today. So um, coming into last week, I thought the big news, I guess this would have been Wednesday. I thought the big news was we had the last of our all hands meetings, I'd imagine. So since we can't all get together, we spread out our all hands meetings over a three to four week period. And so I thought that was going to be the, you know, that was the big accomplishment for last week. And sure enough, like just as soon as I turn the Zoom off, the news comes across the wire HubSpot acquisition, and you think, who's HubSpot buying? Right. HubSpot buys the hustle. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar, the hustle is primarily a newsletter. Um, man, newsletters are hot these days. Um, you, you, did you see uh, uh, Business Insider bought Morning Brew for like $67 million? Newsletter started. I didn't know. I did that. I did that. I did not see. Yeah, that was a few um, months ago. That was a few months ago. That was a few months okay. ago. Yeah, bought it yeah. for like sixty-seven million dollars. Newsletter started by two guys in college because his he was majoring in business, and a bunch of friends were uncomfortable interviewing. So they said, "Hey, you know, they didn't like reading the Wall Street Journal. They didn't they like they felt like it wasn't written for them." So he goes, "I'll write a newsletter." And you know, holy cow, look where he is. So, anyways, newsletters are are huge. So it's it's a uh, growth focus. Um, you may even say hyper growth focus newsletter slash community. Um, so not a tech company. HubSpot buys the hustle. What do you yep. think about it? Uh, to be honest, one word. Brilliant. Okay. Now we've got we've got some time that we have to fill out. On right. Right. <laughs> We're supposed to talk. I thought I just was supposed to say one word. Um, no, I actually thought it was a a, a, a quite brilliant. Um, Why? Why was it brilliant? Acquisition by them. I mean, for a number of reasons. I mean, one, you look at the, the hustles. Um, demographics and who their subscribers are. It's very, uh, you know, entrepreneurial mindset. Um, high growth type, you know, anybody that's in the, in the high growth, let's just call it sales, marketing realm, um, 
so they, they were essentially buying a buying a community that is highly likely to use HubSpot's products. So why not buy the Wall Street Journal? Uh, because I don't think that it aligns with the market that it will want. It'd be probably be a lot more expensive than, than well, it definitely than would, possible, be little, but, would be a little bit more. Right, expensive. right, uh, uh, right. Just a little bit. Uh, but but so, I don't think it necessarily aligns with. So what do you mean they bought a community? And what, what does that mean? Well, I don't, I don't, I shouldn't say necessarily a community, but they, they bought, they bought a, um, they bought access. I mean, again, we're all living in this attention economy. That's, that's what everybody's going after is, you know, how can I get more attention? How can I get attention from, from, from folks? And the audience that subscribes to the hustle is very much what, where HubSpot is successful in driving, driving their own business. Um, Small, medium-sized businesses, entrepreneurial uh, type organizations, um, you know, trying to do things differently uh, rather than kind of like, you know, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM or Salesforce, um, but then they, you know, die in a vine, they don't innovate. Um, so I think they were I'm buying gonna, it. They were I'm going to play the voice. I'm going to play the well, voice. you always do. And say, so, and, say, and say you lost me there. Okay. I don't know how. So we were talking about community, attention. Nobody ever got fired buying from, buying from IBM. They failed to innovate. So somewhere they're, 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 you they're, made a jump and I missed it. Right. Okay. So long and short, they now have access to a large swath of people that are probable purchasers of, of HubSpot or that, that are, that are, you know, kind of fit that ideal customer profile of, of a user of HubSpot. And so what does this do then? It gives them a, it gives them a, a much broader voice. For what? Educate on, people on, right. You know, educate people on all the things that HubSpot's trying to educate people on, whether it be, inbound marketing, whether it could be inbound sales, whether whatever the flavor of the day, the flywheel, the this, that, so, the, that, uh, whatever it might be. So, um, but by the way, just so you know, I, I think it's a brilliant move too. And, and I'll share with you my rationale um, in, in, in a few minutes. Um, I'm, I'm curious your thought on, on some questions that I've gotten from some people, which is, um, you know, A, you, you know, you, you, you made a statement, it, it, it they have access to people. You know, it gives them access to people. Didn't they have access to those people before? No. See, th th this is the uh, this is the echo chamber that we, we talk about all the time, and and you've lived in it way longer than I have. Most people don't know who HubSpot is. Most most small medium businesses, even large enterprises, they they don't they don't know who HubSpot is. They may have a they have a, they may Ooh, have a small I'm going to agree with Again, you on then, that. Again, then there then there's your there's your your bias or your, or the echo chamber that you live within. Sure, over the past year or two, they've exploded. <laughs> you can't. You can't <laughs> prove that you're not in an echo chamber. Um, well, well, a I I mean, kind of what you said, I think. So, so first of all, when we if talk I about ask hustle, my mom, do you know who Salesforce is? Yeah, but I don't know. It's some it's some company, technology oh, hold on, hold on, company, hold on, whatever. Hold on, hold on. Who's HubSpot? Hold on. They have no idea. What's your mom do? 
She's retired. Okay. She, she, she used you, to work for the CIA. So hold on a second. You can't you can't say one thing and then and then change the dynamic. Okay. I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying that that uh, that HubSpot has the same. I, okay. Okay. Are you gonna let I me was finish? talking to a, uh, no. I was talking to a friend of mine. CEO, they do about $20 million a year. It's a, it's a cloud uh, services provider. It, they were doing Salesforce. They were doing Oracle Marketing Cloud. And I said, dude, why are you doing all this complex shit? You've got all these different products. And What should I use, Mike? HubSpot. What's HubSpot, Mike? I'm like, dude, okay, hold on. Hold have on. you not heard of HubSpot? What does he do? So there's a $20 what does he million do? Dollar company. He's What's the he CEO do? of that company. They're a cloud services provider. Okay, and he's a subscriber to Hustle? Probably. I bet you he's not. I'm going to call bullshit on that right now. Okay. I, I'm going to put, I'm I'm gonna put $100 right now, and I'll give you odds that he subscribes to the Hustle. Okay. Let me text him. Um, and, and, and don't bullshit this, right? I mean, if you're going to call, that's okay. I, no, I'm not, I'm not going to play any insider base with, baseball okay. with him. So, so, so anyways, um, okay. So, so, so you think it gives them, you, you, you think it, so, so you think the Venn diagram between the hustle and, and HubSpot awareness is, is, is not head. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think there, I think there's definitely alignment between the two. No, no, the, the Venn diagram, the overlap, the, the people who know HubSpot, the people who know the hustle and, and of those two groups, how many of those, how, how many people are in both of those? I, I would. I think the percentage is fairly high. Okay. Just because the nature of of do you subscribe to the because I subscribe to the hustle. I'm a hustle. I don't. No, I don't. Right. Um. You know the the, the nature of it. it it's kind of like the it, it's actually an earlier. It's been around longer, but you know the, the you know these groups, the revenue collective, et cetera. It's kind of um, you know it strikes me as being highly similar to 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 those places. Um. But you know that that notwithstanding, I still think you know I I don't think it's necessarily that it brings a a brand new market. I'm gonna. Do you remember a couple of years ago that um, outreach? I didn't, you know, I didn't say a brand new market. I said well, it, 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 okay, broader I'm, a broader sorry. audience. I didn't didn't mean to. That's okay. Do you do you remember a couple of years ago that outreach bought Sales Hacker? I did, I did not know that. Um. Now, the thing that's interesting, Outreach bought Sales Hacker. Outreach really didn't have, I mean, they, they were creating content, but they didn't have a content machine. A question that I think is a legitimate question is, you know, HubSpot is a content machine. Yep. I mean, there's, there's probably no company on the planet that produces, well, that's on, that produces the, the, the sales and marketing, you know, the, you know, so they're not a newspaper, right? And I know that in essence, they're, you know, it's, I think it was Darmesh said every media company is trying to become a SaaS company and every SaaS company is trying to become a media company. But, you know, that notwithstanding, you know, there, there's a, you know, they're, they're a content behemoth. Um, why, why do you, you know, why wouldn't HubSpot just extend their own content to that? Uh, because it, 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 it's like anything in the world, like you want to accelerate so accelerate that process. Um, you know, the same thing can be, if you want to grow, imagine, why don't you just go buy another agency? If, if you want to, if HubSpot wants well, to build, you know, it, it's like, so hold on a second. So, see, now that, priorities. 
See, that's that's an interesting thing because because HubSpot is notoriously known, and it was actually pretty funny because you know they did their partner kickoff that morning, and one of the things that they emphasized, and let me tell you what, they are going all guns at Salesforce because one of the things they emphasized is, um, I think I'm allowed to say this. Shit, I hope I'm not. Um, they're you know they they they're you know we we haven't built our product through acquisitions. We don't acquire. We don't acquire, we don't acquire, we don't acquire. Yep. Right. And, and you and I have talked about that before. So so they have they have in, in their core business and 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 to date and other all other facts of the business, they made the decision that building is better than buying. So so why would they buy there instead of instead of um, instead of building? Why would they make that difference? I'll share with you why why I think. I think that you went one, I, I think you didn't go deep enough in the level of what you're talking about. You, you mentioned that, that everyone's buying, you know, we're all in the intention economy, which I totally agree with, right? But I think the problem is attention is, is, is the ticket. Where attention used to be the game, it's now, it now gets you into the ballpark. And, Correct, yep. And so what, what the difference is, is engagement. Right. And, and so, for example, you know, if you look at the hustle, the hustle talks about a lot of things related to um, automation, technology, growth. There's some serious stuff there. There's uh, I personally, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of burnt out on this whole hustle culture thing. Um, I get, you know, it was named that, you know, a long time ago, but it gets into that whole hyper growthy, you know, which, which I think, you know, I think candidly, and you know, it, it's more for posers than it is for real people. Um, you know, it's more about you know, you know, you know, all the sizzle. There's no there though, like you know, really big hat. Hey, tell me about your cattle. Um, how's that for all of you Texans listening? Um, and and so, like like the biggest mistake that I think they could make with with the acquisition is if the hustle starts talking about the flag. If the hustle starts talking about inbound methodology, if the hustle starts talking about, you know, attract, engage, delight, right? Because I think that HubSpot already has that attention. I don't, I don't actually think. Oh, no, you're, you're right. Absolutely. Um, I did totally. I don't. Fair, 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 good point on that. Yeah. So like, so like, I don't think that the hustle brings out, um, you know, broadens the audience a whole, whole lot. Um, and I don't know. I could be wrong. And that's that's my guess. So like you, you might be right. I, who, who knows? Um, well, somebody knows, but you and I don't. <laughs> what? So, so you know, you know, we created the deals framework last year, right? Yeah. What, what what I think this did is this this is like the number. Like there, there's nothing that could um, um, reinforce what we've been saying about the deals framework deals is discover engage discovery engagement activation launch which is the sales process and success um we couldn't we couldn't call it discovery engagement activation sales success because that would be the dias or the you know the deas or something like right so um but the first three stages are the dea right um engagement and activation Right. Well, you know, one of my favorite inbound stories, which is not an inbound story, right? And it actually came, I read the book, uh, it was in the book Groundswell, and it talked about Procter and Gamble. And they were launching a new product. Um, it was a tampon, right? 
Um, not my area of expertise per se. Um, now, if you take a look at the buying patterns of, of, if you take a look at the buying patterns of people who buy tampons, it's established very early in life, right? You get used to what you get used to. And, 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 and so, it, you know, that, that pattern, that brand loyalty happens typically, you know, begins to form in teenage years, teenage to early 20. And, and it is almost always whatever mom used. And, and so very little um, movement in terms of, in terms of brand share, et cetera. So you're launching a new brand by definition, you've got to get, you, you, you've got to move market, right. In a, in a market that is notoriously static. It's also something that people don't talk a lot about other than to their mom. Right. I'm thankful my daughter did not talk to me about it. She talked to my mom. She talked to my wife, she talked to her mom. Um, so what do you do? Like, how do you, like, you, it's really kind of hard to advertise to move that. And, 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 you know, and especially for teenagers when, when, it, when it gets formed. And so what they actually did was they started a teenage, a, a forum geared for teenage girls. It was brought to you by, and, and in, in, in the sort, you know, in, in the case of ground. Right. I, I, right. I know where you're about, going with it, this. Yes. It was all about education. It had nothing to do with like, Nothing to do with product. To, to, totally, I, I and you're right. I did not go deep enough because that that's exactly right. what's in the back of my mind is they're not going to talk about product. They they're, they're going to start influencing at an earlier stage. So so correct. So if you begin to get the mindset of the hustle, which is lean, sleek, um, velocity, um, ease of experience, right? All those things play into to what the hustle teaches, you know, fuck the status quo, all those things. You 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 build in that mindset, and and you know, I talk to people about the buying process all the time. And one of the great quotes, um, I can't remember who said it, but it's a it's behavioral science quote that um, our brains are more the press office than they are the Oval Office. Like we like to think that our brain is the Oval Office making the decision when in reality our brain our conscious brain is the press office rationalizing the decision that was made so the actions that we take are actually formed at a point that we're not even aware that we're forming right. those beliefs those thoughts etc yep. right and 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 so where where like the lesson of of this purchase is that that the value of engagement the value of getting that attention and that active engagement, that give and take, when I'm not thinking about anything, creating the, the you know, building the framework, building the mindset that aligns with your product and service, right? Giving the words that are used to describe when you become aware of things that, that you'll never be able to say, this license was bought because they read this article, right? It had already it had already been long influenced. Before. And 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 so like the you know the, the toughest thing that I have you know we talk about top of funnel top of funnel and what what does everyone want to do top of funnel? Well, let's talk about our product. No, that's not top of funnel. Your product has nothing to do with top of funnel. Top of funnel is all about who is your customer. What is your customer's problem? Are you relevant to your customer? Like why did media companies? 
become so insanely valuable. Um, I, I learned this actually reading uh, Warren Buffett's um, annual letter. By the way, the greatest piece of business acumen we did every year is Warren Buffett's letter to shareholders. Um, and he told the story as they began to, you know, they were reducing their their um, ownership in newspapers. And <laughs> I, I didn't know this, right? But in like the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, the thing that determined whether your newspaper had the largest circulation was did you get the most ads? Now, you would think it would be opposite, right? You would think the newspaper that had the greatest circulation would get the most ads, right? Because that, yep. that's how we do it today, right? Uh, right? We've got the most eyeballs. But back in the pre-internet days, how did you learn about a sale? How did you learn about jobs that were open? You learned it while you were reading the newspaper. And so if you were going to read a newspaper, you wanted to read the newspaper that had all of that information to know what was going on, right? And that's how media companies made money was that we're going to give you the news, right? So that you engage. And as a result of engaging, like, so you're reading about a presidential election. Oh, JCPenney is having a sale today. See, now you know that I'm talking about the 1970s because who would go to a JCPenney sale today, um, right? And and so it's, it's that same game and it's, it, it is, it is the proof to the value of be relevant to the to the to your audience and and that is the number 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 one thing that you can do to generate more lift now where i would where i would say that the that the audience separates right if you look, so i i view the purchase of the hustle to be a, the equivalent to the investment that they've made into HubSpot Academy. Right. Right. You know, what, they, what they've done with HubSpot Academy is, is along the same lines. Now, now what the, you know, be, the, the nature of the education and, and the growing category, it was more tightly tied. But, you know, one of the things I actually used to, um, well, one of the negatives to, to, to some of the HubSpot certification that I've always had as, as a HubSpot provider is like when I first started, I thought someone that was HubSpot certified, that meant they knew how to use HubSpot. And so I would hire somebody that was HubSpot certified and then I'd be like, well, you're certified. So like, and then you, then I, then I got certified and I realized, wait, they don't teach you anything about the product in most of their certifications. Right. Yep. And, you know, and by the way, that's the genius of it. And now you have, you know, people running around, you know, Hey, I've got 72 certifications. Right, which you know kind of creates that own that you know that that whole flywheel, you know, and and they were brilliant because they allowed you to get certified without using the product, you know, all, all those things go on. Now I think the the people that are you know attracted and geared to the certification angle are are very very different than 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 the hustle side, and I, and I think like I'm more attuned to the hustle community, um, and if I were not a HubSpot provider. I wouldn't even have the certifications that I have just because I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, that that's right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just not, you know, that's not what attracts me. That's not what gets my engagement. Whereas somebody else who I know who does similar things to what I do, like, you know, one of his, you know, one of his statements of pride is he has every certification that HubSpot has. And I said, oh, yeah. why would, why would you want to do that? That seems like it's just <laughs> He, like, on Christmas break, he told me, yeah, he was going to get like the three certifications he didn't have. I'm like, 
why would you do that on you? You know, but again, that's you know different different strokes for different folks. So, so again, I think that that whole point of of what do you have to do to get engagement, and that is the hardest thing. And I think that's why the the purchase is absolutely broken. Yeah. No, I, it, it, it reminds me, and I brought this up before, of, a, of a, a brilliant move Apple made. When was it? It was around 2000. There was a company at the time called, so Apple used to have this product. They still have it. It's called Final Cut Pro. It's for um, video editing. Like They have the consumer version. They have the high-end version, which... Now, every media company in the world that's still doing a lot of media, a lot of them use Final Cut Pro. But the market leader in that space was a company called Avid. But the problem with Avid was it was super complex. It was very, very expensive. um, And it was mainly a lot of older editors that really knew how to use Avid. So what Apple did, which was brilliant, was they said to universities, college students, et cetera, we're just going to give you free Apple Final Cut Pro. Like, we're just going to give it to you. Well, then what these media companies were realizing was, oh, my gosh, everybody coming out of college is like, I'm not touching this thing, Avid. That thing is like a dinosaur. It's, I, I, there's no way I could do my job with that. I want to use Final Cut Pro and look, I can do it much faster. I can do it you know, in a more scalable way, et cetera. So then the next thing you know, there was a lot of infighting between the old timers within these media companies and all of the new kids or recent grads coming out saying, you know, so then they ran dual environments of Final Cut Pro and Avid. And then the next thing you know, Final Cut just, as some of those old timers moved out, yep. Final Cut Pro became the, the de facto standard. And, and, and kind of like back to your point, which is interesting because you talk about influence. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine's daughter. She's a senior at uh, Penn State University, majoring in marketing. She doesn't. She actually had an internship with Morning Brew, and I was like, "Hey, have you heard of HubSpot?" She's like, "No." I was like, "Well, you you know, if you're coming out of college, you should try to go do some uh, some of these HubSpot certifications." And, and she wrote me back like four days later. She's like, "Wow, I, this was amazing. I already got two certifications. I learned a ton in it." But had I not said anything to her, I bet you if I texted her right now, she would absolutely be like, yeah, I know who the hustle is. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I read it all the time. We'll find that out later. All righty. Yes. Let us go. I know, Hannah, you are waiting for the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How's everybody doing? All right. This question for this episode is, with there being a lot of technology in MarTech, is it better to have a large tech stack or a small tech stack? And how do you determine which pieces of technology are right for your business? The larger, the better, I say, so long as you have, and as long as you buy it from a certified reseller and utilize the services of an outside expert. That's my, that's my answer, Mike, what's yours? <laughs> Talk about a, uh, I, I think you, you had a little bit of insight into that, in that question before, uh, before it came in. Um, look, I mean, in my opinion, the, 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 the it, it's not about larger or smaller as far as the, the, the number of technologies you're using. It's, it's are you saying it's not about the size of the tech stack? It's about the impact, something else. There you go. Yeah. 
it's not that it, it really isn't. It's not like the smaller that you can keep your tech stack, as long as you're reaching your goals, like why not keep it as small as possible? There's only so much that we can do. There's so many, only so many tools we can use. There's only so many things that we can learn. Um, there's only so many, so many priorities that go, you know, that, that we can manage. So, so here's my take. I, I, I think the size of your tech stack is totally irrelevant. Um, I, I, I don't think that the objective should be to keep it as small as possible or make it as big as possible. I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, what's the right number of people to hire? Yeah. Right. Um, it's an irrelevant question. Well, yeah, I mean, again, there, you know, there, 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 there's a context to it. Um, you know, when, when I was a sales guy, I, I, you know, I'd win club or I'd go to, you know, what'd you do last year? What'd you do last year? What are you doing so far this year? And, and, you know, everyone gave, everyone told each other their number and you'd add it all up and you're like, wow, this company is 10 times larger than I thought it was, than it, than it reported <laughs> it was, right? Um, then, you know, then I became a financial advisor and it was, how many assets do you have under management? How much assets do you have under management? How much assets do you have under management? Then, then I became a business owner and I started going to be, how many people do you have? How many people do you have? Um, and I remember, you know, somebody that you and I both know, uh, how, how many people are you up to? And I was like, well, we're actually down to from the last time I talked to you. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, what are you sorry about? Right. Cause we're running around. Like the more people I have, and it, by the way, this is VP of sales. What's your head count? What's your head count? Like, and, and, and now in the, you know, so what's your tech stack? How big is your tech stack? How big is your tech stack? Um, and you know, when I get it, it you know, it is hard. It, there, there's how so big is your email? Like, how big is your email list? How, how big, big is your email? Right. How big is right. your email? Right. My email list is a hundred thousand, and my engagement a, rate could is point oh three percent. Right. Um, I'm going to go buy a million contacts just so that I can say I have a million persons. You know, now, 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 in fairness, um, you know, people say the quantity doesn't matter; the quality does. Um, and, you know, someone just wrote, I'd, you know, I'd rather have five people actively engaged than 500 people not doing anything, except that when you actually look at the real world, you probably need, like, if you're building a community, you probably need 500 members of your community to have five people that are going to be active, right? So, so yeah, the quantity doesn't matter, the quality does, except that the quantity does matter to the level of, of, of the quality, you know, so, so there is an aspect of um, if you, like, if you don't have a computer, you're, you're not going to be able to do a lot of things, right? So, um, but, but I think that, you know, so, so one of our principles is the best tax, the best tech stack is the simplest stack that gets the job done. But that doesn't necessarily mean the smallest tech stack that gets the job done, right? Um, and like, I know this is, you know, th this is a problem for, this is a problem for every small business on the planet, which is you've got things that are taking up time that would be much better used elsewhere. Um, and, and utilizing technology could reduce the time that, that, that it's gonna take, except that it turns a soft cost into a hard cost and, and, you know, and, and, and so you can't, it's you know, so like a lot of times rationally, financially, it would make sense. Like it would meet all the criteria, but 
like you still can't do it. Like there's, there, there's, there's a product that I'm aware of that would be really good for us. I would really love it, but they're minimum, like it's $50,000 minimum. And it's like, yeah, I, I can't, it's, you know, hard to justify. I mean, I mean, I mean technically you could say that, that if I got that and it freed me up and, and I, I made two additional sales because I was freed up to do that, um, then, then it would like, you could make the worth argument. As a matter of fact, that, that I've begun to deal with salespeople on there. It's like, well, what would this be worth? I said, I'm not having, I'm not having that conversation. Right. Cause if you ask me what's HubSpot worth, it's worth a hell of a lot more to us than I could pay for. It. So, so yeah. let's not even have that conversation, right? Let, let, let's be real. Here. Um, so, so again, you've got, you've got to understand where, you know, you know what is your economic model? which most companies haven't really defined clearly. What's the approach? Where, where are your, where, where are your, your, um, your, what, what, you know, where are the key inflection points? Where are your key, key leverage points, if you will? Um, you know, I mean, I hate Bill Belichick. I mean, I hate Bill Belichick with a passion. Um, and, and I legitimately hate Bill Belichick because I actually know people who worked with Bill Belichick when he was um, bussing tables at um, Middleton's in Annapolis. You know, yeah, his dad grew, was the he defense... Grew right, he grew up right near you, yeah. Yeah, he grew up in Annapolis. His dad was the defensive coordinator yeah. for University of Navy. Yeah. Right, for Naval Academy. University of Navy. The hell is that? The Naval Academy, <laughs> right? Um, and, he, you know, he was an obnoxious teenager. Um, I didn't know him, but I, I, I know people that, that, that worked with him. But I'll never forget the, the Patriots-Falcons game. Right. And I'll never forget Chris Collinsworth saying, and by the way, I like Chris Collinsworth. I know that makes me an exception. I like Chris Collinsworth, but I remember Chris Collinsworth saying that, you know, what's wrong with the Patriots? What's wrong with Tom Brady? They're showing no sense of urgency. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing these quotes here. I, I, this is one of my favorite quotes that, you know, why didn't you start, you know, like, why didn't you change? Why didn't you make any adjustments? What, what, and Bill Belichick said that, you know, every, you know, with the exception of score, Every indicator that they use, every key metric they use, they was totally where they wanted to be. Time of possession, average yards per play, right? You know, you had the pick six that led to things, you know, all those things were going on. And I remember that. So this is the, the, the quote that I, that I remember, except that I'm paraphrasing. We knew we were going to win the game. The only threat was, would we run out of time before we won, right? But, but basically what it was, was like, there were a couple fluke things that happened that put them in a deficit. By the way, one of my favorite books, not necessarily from a content standpoint, but but what was Bill Walsh's autobiography, The Score Takes Care of Itself, right? Um, you know, and what makes Bill Belichick in some ways such a jerk, but also such a great coach is he plays his game and, and he learns from others, but he's not enticed by that. Right. He, he, he's not the flavor of the day. Um, and, and, and the thing that I'll give him credit for is he's always been like this. You know, it, it's one thing after he won his third Super Bowl that you can say, well, we're going to do it however I want to do it. But, you know, he, he was like this when he coached the Cleveland Browns and he got fired. Right. And, he, um, and, and I think especially in today's market, like, I, well, I think there's a couple of things. You got to be careful. I love Scott. He's one, you know, he's, I think he's still the only person that's been on the show twice, Scott Brinker, uh, Chief Martech. Um, 
he has a really interesting post. Yes, tech stacks are getting bigger. Yes, they're best of breed. But then when you look at the article, he's talking about Okta and he's talking about Microsoft and he's talking about um, he, he's talking about companies that, that are not the companies by and large that are listening to this to this podcast, right? And, and right. I remember I remember when when I got um, into business consulting or business advisory, like I, I love I mean I love reading business books. I learned a tremendous amount. I've always been entrepreneurial. I've been in small businesses. So, so, and I didn't get an MBA. I got my MBA in, in, in the real world and reading business books. But one of the things that always frustrated me was that, that, you know, every story that you got was what GE did. Right. And I used to say, well, look, you know, if I can issue $2 billion, if I can make a $2 billion bond placement at 2.5% interest, there's a lot of things I'd be able to do that I can't do now. Right. So, so it's great to look at those things. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of, like, I think Gartner's got great stuff. Well, we've talked about um, that before. Well, and now, now, by the way, remember that Gartner's sales practice is, is uh, CED. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so it's, we're not dealing with, I know you got a whole. We're not going there. I know you got to stick up your, up your ass about their magic yeah. quadrant, but, I, right. but that's really, in, in, for all practical purposes, that's a different company. Right. Yeah. But, but I think, so I think Gartner's sales practice has some really, really good stuff. Now it's not for the companies that I work with. That's not what those, that's not what that research is based on. So, so you've got to, you've got to account for that. And so much of what you read about, um, so much about what frames the MarTech stack is based on you know, ba based on companies that, that have small departments larger than your entire company, yep. right? Um, so, so you, you know, again, so, so you, you get attracted there. Then you have this whole um, just insane- Well, you not, only get, you not only get attracted there, but it's also glorified in that space. Because who wants to go say, I'm working with 10 pieces of technology? Um, well, you, you know, you know it, well, correct, right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, the same know, thing with VC funding. Like, you know, that's a great point. Strap founders out there that never get any. The, 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 the people that are the best of the best at, at managing tech, they're not going to manage a five. They're, they're not going to manage a company that needs to have five key applications in their stack. Because they're, it's, it's like I used to say, you know, I'll still say it. If, if you're under $100 million, unless you're highly funded with a great equity package, you're not hiring a real VP of sales, right? So just, just accept that. Stop looking. I, I, um, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do an episode on this. You know, stop, stop looking for that because the person that, A, the person that could be the VP of sales, they want to be a VP of sales. And if you're under $100 million, there's a good bet that your VP of sales has to carry some aspect of a number and they're probably your whale hunter. Right, as opposed to being yeah, they're your whale hunter, or they're flying all over the country right. working on your biggest right. deals with your um, reps, and, and the, the, yeah, absolutely. The the person who's a VP of sales, they want to they want to have a playground of of big complex. You know, they they, they want three hundred salespeople, they want three thousand salespeople, they want multiple directors, right? If you're really good at that, you want you want to you want a big playground. So that's that's actually a great point. Um, you know, the the, the people that have like like the tech that I know and can use and am totally comfortable with. If I were to use every one of those things for us, it would be it would be ridiculous. Now, now we get to do it because we're working with different companies in different situations, so it it, it you know it, it it's very very different. 
but like I know a lot of, by the way, I know a lot of people in, in, and you know this, that, that do what Imagine does. And I mean, they got some, someone just, like I saw their, you know, their recommended tech, whatever. And it's like, they've got 72, something like 72 different. I'm like, how's that like, you know, well, like I saw somebody, the, uh, this is not the same. Are we company. building they a had, business or are we, man, are we building a business or are we managing they, technology? They had, they had uh, business analytics um, and it was, Tableau, Domo, um, Data Box, and there are like three others. I'm like, well, which one do you not recommend? Right? Like, you know, so like, like we just did a post where we recommended Data Box. And my brother, yeah, who works with, who, my, my brother who works with companies, um, in, you know, in a very different space at a very different scale that, that I would not recommend Data Box for. He, he emails me, he's like, why are you recommending them? Why not, why not Tableau or... Um, with um or power beyond that's it power beyond um and i respond back and, and he goes oh okay i get it so so like you know because a lot of times tableau is you know you're shooting a bunny rabbit with a shotgun um and you know there's you know so so again understanding who you are what your game is and 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 realizing that you know here's what technology is technology is an enabler so if it enables right if if, if the business process calls for it then then yeah, you should you 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 should probably look at it. But the size of your tech stack should be a byproduct of your game plan, um, not not you know it's almost a number that I wouldn't pay attention to. As a matter of fact, it is a number that I wouldn't pay attention to. I think that unrelated to this, I think what the challenge is. I was actually interviewed by a company that does things. Um, they had some call where. Um, make myself sound really important, you know, a bunch of funds and stuff like that, listen in. And, and, and because of what we do, they, you know, they do this series of interviewing different people that do stuff like what I do. And, and, and they were asking me about, you know, on the buy side, the sell side, what are some of the risks? And I said, you know, the biggest risk right now is there's so much duplication. Like we were, they, they, they were talking to me, they wanted me to talk about Zoom Info versus Salesforce. For, and I said, you know, it's funny that you asked that question because to me, Zoom Info, I'm a huge fan of Zoom Info. I think there are great, data and lead intelligence tool. I forget that they're trying to become a sales automation tool, which I would A, not recommend them for that. And B, it's like, wait a second, I've already got that, right? So, so now you're building this. So like there's all kinds of redundancy being built into um, in, oh, into, there's absolutely into the, into the tech world. I mean, it is incredibly... Yeah. I, I finally got a good answer to why they're doing that. Um, they're used to the Salesforce environment. And, and I had one person say, well, you know, Salesforce is, is such a Frankenstein system that we thought we could do it better. And, you know, what, instead of mixing and matching, I'm like, hey, well, guess what, guy? You're in the HubSpot ecosystem here. We don't have yeah. that problem, right? Um, but, you know, there's so much money out there. that uh, I think that venture companies, I think the first thing that they do is they buy, I think they take 40% of their fund and they buy Facebook and Google stock. Do you know why I think they do that? <laughs> because all of the money that they're investing is going right back into the- I, I, it's, What is it like 60% yeah, of venture yeah, it's, fund it's, it's goes, to, goes into paid Facebook and Google? What the? I mean, they yep. have to have stock in those companies. Yeah. Right? Like that has, it's just, it's like this insane- um, balance sheet transfer from my balance sheet 
to Facebook's income statement, right? Yep. It's just so so yeah. So I, I you know I, I guess we kind of went um kind of took a long windy road, but um you know the tech that you use, you know I'll say this if you're if you're if you're aware of your tech, then it's probably not right. Does it, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't know what tech you're using, but. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, some of it, like there, there are certain parts of, of, of the tech that, I don't know, maybe I'm not grappling with that statement very well. Do you stop and go, do I want to use a pen or a pencil for this task? Should I use a felt tip pen, a ballpoint pen, a fountain pen, or a rollerball pen? Do you stop and think that? No, you just pick no, up something oh, and you start writing. But, well, I, I, yes, I pick up the, something and start writing, but I've already made the conscious decision that I use pens, you know, so that's all that's around my desk. So, you know, sh should your head of revenue operations understand the technology that you're using? Should your... Should your admins? Yeah, of course they should. Should should your salespeople or even your marketers know? I don't think. I no, think I, I don't okay, know. okay. I see. I see where you're going with this. I, like, I agree. Like if I, I, I have to think about the tech, if if I have to stop and think, well, what application? Right. Do I, I use this? Do I use that? Do I use this? Right. Yes. Right. Then, right? then you're 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 bloated. You're overloaded. Let me, let me ask you this: How many apps do you use on on your iPhone? I know you use a much smaller percentage than are on your iPhone. But right now, if, if, I, if I had your report of app utilization and I said, tell me your top 20 apps that you use, I bet you you'd start struggling after the fifth to sixth. I don't even know that I have, I guess I do have 20 apps, 20 plus apps. I keep mine very simple. I use, I disabled. I, I didn't mean social. to get into a whole. Right. I, I have Slack, email, phone, text. Here, I look at the stock. Uh, I use here, a number of, a couple of, I, but I know you didn't ask the question. My, 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 my point is you go to your iPhone, you flip, and you, you don't, you don't think about, you say, I want to go, I want to look at stock. I want to get my stock prices. What's the name of your stock app? I just use I, Apple's uh, basic. What's the name of it? What's its name? I don't know. You don't know. I you don't care. It. You just go and you look at it and you don't even think, you don't think about I want to look at the stock price. So should I, um, I will go to my Apple device where I will open it and then I will go to, and you just go there, right? And and we don't think about it and we just use it. And then I want to send a text and I go, what's right? You know, as a matter of fact, what's the name of the text app on my phone? It's called text or mess. I guess it's messages, right? So, right, phone, right? We should all be brown bear. Do you remember brown bear? Get right brown because it's just like bear, tat, right? Um, and, and so, so if you're, if you're beyond that and thinking about it, then, then you know, tech's taken the center stage and, 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 and it's become, it's, it's probably taken on more friction than it's bringing acceleration. All right, Mike, I know you got a, I know you got a, um, a hard deadline. So let's go ahead. Let's wrap this thing up. Oh my goodness gracious. And my phone started. Look, your tech stack is broken. My, <laughs> holy cow. There we go. All righty, Mike, what's your takeaway for everybody today? All right, takeaway. Uh, when we talked about tech stack, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people talk about jobs to be done. And 
I'm looking for either mm-hmm. a, a new to, and you you talk about it a lot. I'm looking for jobs to be done, and 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 we should hire tech in some of those instances for jobs to be done. But if we turn it around, there's another way to think about utilize or tech stack utilization or, or or even purchasing new tech. What am I firing? What am I getting rid of that can take its place? Um, that's going to make me uh, that's going to allow me to do things easier, faster, um, and with much less effort. All right. So, so you're, you're saying Marie Conti, your tech set. Yes. Only use the tech that brings you joy. No, 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 no. Not that brings you joy. I'm saying, but there's always ways that you can, there's always way that you can, well, I mean, you know, there's always ways that you can also turn it around of what can I fire uh, and replace it with with tech. All right. My takeaway: learn the lesson. If it, you know, HubSpot's a smart company, HubSpot's a pretty good company when it comes to content. The HubSpot guts has some assets to creating content. Just if they're to- gonna if they're gonna go out and they're gonna buy a content shop, right? Which is you know basically what they are. Um, why are they doing that? Right? Why are they doing that? They're and, and yeah, I get it. They get they get to play a longer game than a lot of us do, right? But not really. They understand the value of engagement. They, they, they understand the value of being relevant before uh, Harvey McKay, remember him, the great L, the, the great envelope um, CEO and salesperson, wrote a book that he said, um, build your well before you're thirsty. Right. Um, I used to talk about the greatest ninja move of all time was HubSpot launched their marketing blog six or seven months before they had a product to sell. And, and by the way, when they had a product to sell, it wasn't really very good. Right. But they kept producing content um, and they generated tremendous love for people who could like they had no role to be able to buy. I'm a marketer at company X. I don't get to choose what product we use, but man, they were reading HubSpot's blog and, you know, they were building that audience and now they've gone to the next ninja move. Um, and, and, and so learn from that, right? Put the effort, make the investment into generating relevant, insightful content. And by the way, that doesn't mean you have to create content. Because one of the interesting things, if you look at a lot of these things, like the hustle of morning, like morning brew doesn't create any content. Right, right. Right, right. They, they just write snippets about somebody else's content, right? Yep. Got, you know, content curation is, is a, as a matter of fact, I think in many ways, if you, if you generate the reputation as being the, the, the trustworthy curator of content, like for most companies that I know, that, there, there's not a better proposition, better position to, to start from. It does mean you got to let go of the short-term desire to generate a lead or, um, you know, my favorite right now, we have entered the age of revenue marketing or marketing revenue or whatever, or revenue architect. I'm here, revenue, right? And I look, I'm talking about revenue acceleration, um, you know, look at me to talk, but, you know, all you know what? Here's here's the problem with that. 
if, if I'm only looking at revenue, if I'm only thinking about it through the lens term, of revenue, short, very, very then, short-sighted. Then, then you know that that ability to generate that audience and that engagement. I got a client right now, um, that, that, that we started working with, and the problem is like they have zero presence in the market. You know, the, their their growth has been they 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 manage accounts really well, and they acquire companies, right? But they don't have an organic means to generate new revenue. And we you know we've looked at it, and it's like you have zero presence with anybody. That's why none of your sales, that's why you've never been successful at it. Because every time you try to do it, it's okay, we're going to go out and we've got to start generating new business here in the next nine, 90 to 180 days, three to six months, or, or we can't justify it. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen. It's pure brute force. Right? Um, trying to knock right? them at the door. And, 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 and so my takeaway is learn that lesson, realize here's the proof. That is the value of engagement. Um, and if you take that, um, I think everything else will take care of itself. Love it. All righty, there we are. And that is it for this edition of the Blackline Podcast. Mike, I know you got to run. Uh, I hear you're closing big, big deals. Um, so go that's do it. it. And uh, until next time, that's it. until next time, that's it. I'm done. There you go. <laughs>